Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Ephesians chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2, if you join me there this morning. I want to begin a three-week series, a Sunday morning message series uh, over the next three weeks as we lead up to uh, the, the Christmas holiday. And I want to, uh, the last few years, you know, it's always a, a preacher's challenge, is to uh, approach the same topic in a new and a fresh and an exciting way. And uh, as we approach the Christmas season again, um, I was just thinking and praying about how to do this. And in the past couple of years, Uh, I have taken some famous Christmas hymns and broken down some of the lyrics and begin to show the gospel through the lens of Christmas hymns. And I thought uh, this might be a a good year to do that. How many know 2020 has been crazy? Crazy in a lot of ways. Crazy in, in, uh, in what's happening in our culture. Crazy as a result of uh, the, the virus, of course, and all of the impact that that has had on our lives. Crazy in that we have lost uh, people that we care about. And, uh, and it's, in many ways, it's an unprecedented year, things that we've had to go through. But how many know just because it's unprecedented in our lifetime doesn't mean that it is completely unprecedented? And what I mean by that this morning is that this may be the craziest year of my life, but it is certainly not the craziest year on record in all of history. There have been harder, more difficult times. Can you say amen? And the hymn that I want to speak to you about, the Christmas hymn, uh, is a hymn that was written during one of the darkest moments in our nation's history. And it is the hymn that is known as, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And so, um, I'm not going to sing it for you, because I want you to stay. But uh, I am going to show a little three-minute video that just kind of explains the context of what the writer of that hymn was going through when he wrote it. So I want you to take a look at the screen uh, for the next three minutes. And, uh, and just get an idea of, uh, of the context from which this hymn was written. The famous Longfellow brothers were born and raised in Portland, Maine in the 1800s. Henry Wadsworth was born in 1819. Henry became a Harvard professor of literature and one of America's greatest writers, authoring works like Paul Revere's Ride and the Song of Hiawatha. 
There were over 24 different companies that published his works. His writings became immensely popular throughout Europe, and one of his most loyal fans was President Abraham Lincoln. While Henry was publishing his books, dark clouds were gathering over his life and over the United States. In 1861, his wife tragically died when her dress caught on fire in their home in Cambridge, Massachusetts. That same year, the Civil War broke out, tearing the nation apart. Two years later, during the fiercest days of the conflict, Henry's son Charles, 17, ran away from home and hopped aboard a train to join the Union Army. Charlie proved a brave soldier and a popular one. He saw action at the Battle of Chancellorsville in 1863, but in early June, he contracted typhoid fever and malaria and was sent home to recover. By August, Charlie was well enough to return to the field. On November 27, during the Battle of New Hope Church in Virginia, he was shot through the left shoulder. The bullet nicked his spine and came close to paralyzing him. He was carried into the church and later taken to Washington to recover. Receiving the news on December 1st, Henry left immediately for Washington. He found his son well enough to travel and they headed back to Cambridge, arriving there on the 8th. For weeks, Henry sat by his son's bedside, slowly nursing his boy back to him. On Christmas Day, December 25, 1863, Henry gave vent to his feelings, writing a reflective carol that can only be understood against the backdrop of the war. Two stanzas now omitted from most hymnals speak of the cannons thundering in the south and the papers tearing apart the hearthstones of the continent. The poet feels like dropping his head in despair, but then he hears the Christmas bell. Their triumphant healing reminds him that God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The Sunday school children of Longfellow's local church in Boston first sang this song during that year's Christmas celebration. I heard the bells on Christmas Day reminds us that no matter how deep our pain or sorrow, we are but a breath away from the sweet bells and singing of heaven. Amen. So that is uh, the historical context from which this hymn was written and where we get so many of uh, modern takes on that song and uh, even from some familiar Christian artists like uh, um, uh, Casting Crowns did a great version of that song and I would encourage you maybe this week and the next few weeks to find a copy of that song and really soak it in over the next few weeks because there's some great meaning behind the lyrics. So this is a man, the author of this hymn, who is not uh, unfamiliar with suffering. And perhaps one of the things about the year 2020 that we've had to face is the reality of suffering. We've had to go through some things that maybe we haven't before, but it's certainly not 
something that the human race does not know about. We've been called to go through suffering, but the truth and the reality of this hymn says that even through the pain, even through the tears, that the Christmas bells still ring, that the news of Jesus arriving into the middle of our mess is still a present reality. And that truth is not just one that is great for Christmas time, but it is great for every time. And so in the, in, the, in the midst of a situation now here in 2020, when we've heard a lot of bad news, somewhere in this land, there's a mom and a dad. I just read an article about all of the marriages that fell apart as a result of quarantine. People actually having to spend time together and realizing they don't really like one another. And not being able to work through, and I'm uh, reading that, uh, that there's a, a, a large number of marriages and divorces that have occurred uh, during this quarantine. How many families are unhappy with each other? How many uh, businesses have, uh, have tanked? There are, how many, I'm just uh, blown away this week, I read an article about an 11-year-old student who killed himself while on a Zoom conference with his classroom. Can you imagine? And see, this is the kind of story we've been hearing, not just in 2020, but it seems that our culture continues to grow uh, toward wickedness and depravity. And yet, it is, not, uh, it is not a problem for us. It is, it, is, um, it is not pie in the sky dreamland for us to say, and yet, we, while we acknowledge all of this, the Christmas bells still ring. Even in mourning, even in tragedy, even in loneliness, even when we are dealing with some things, the bells are still ringing. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. This is no delusional escape. This is no just head in the sand idealism. But right now, what our world needs more than anything is the message of peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And when you examine the Word of God, this is the message that you find again and again, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. This is where we find in our Scripture, Luke chapter 2, this is the uh, heavenly host that is celebrating at the arrival of Jesus on earth. The Bible said the only audience that was there was a few shepherds that were tending their flocks. And God in heaven does not see that that is fit enough to celebrate the arrival of His Son. And so there, there's Mary and Joseph. There's a few animals that you're familiar with. There's a few shepherds with their sheep. And God says that's not enough. So the Bible says here in Luke chapter 2, verse 13... Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now we know that if you were to look around the region of Bethlehem, Jerusalem, 
If you were to look around in that region of the world and beyond, you would not see peace on earth. Nor would you see goodwill toward men. You would see an occupying force. The Roman Empire that was conquering lands. You would see Herod, the the Tetrarch, in charge of that region of Jerusalem. You would see him with a heavy fist and a heavy hand ruling that land, not afraid to kill and mock and, uh, and maim people in the name of his own authority. You would see all kinds of violence and oppression. And in that way, it is not different than how we're seeing our world today. And if you watch the news, and if you pay attention to what's happening, your first reaction is not, Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But I'm here to tell you today that the Christmas bells still ring out. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. This is what Jesus came to accomplish. And the same way that that little baby showed up in the middle of a mess, He is still showing up in the middle of 2020. Can you say amen? He can still show up in the middle of the mess of your life in the middle of the mess of your marriage or your finances or the mess of what's happening on your job or, or your uh, you know, addiction, in the middle of your sickness, in the middle of pain, Jesus can show up. The Christmas bell can still ring out and bring peace in the midst of the storm. I want you to turn now to Ephesians chapter 2, our main scripture coming out of this uh, chapter, Ephesians chapter 2. And this is a message, a part one of this series, Peace on Earth, Goodwill Towards Men. And one of the things that God brings peace, Christmas is a celebration of peace on earth. And I want to take this aspect of how God has brought peace on earth in three different ways. And the first that I want to examine with you this morning is peace on the earth among men. Let's read this scripture, Ephesians 2, verse 11, which says, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, you who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands. At that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, were, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. For He Himself is our peace. He who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we come by the blood of Jesus, thanking you for the grace and mercy that you've shown us. I'm praying today that you would help us to understand the peace on earth that you have given to us, the peace that is available with one another here in the family of the living God. I'm praying that you would help us to live out 
and to realize that peace in our own lives. And we give you glory for all that you've done and all that you're going to do. And Jesus, uh, all God's people said, amen. This is a message this morning of reconciliation. And I believe we need a message like this right now more than we have in a long, long time. Peace and reconciliation. What Paul is speaking about in this uh, chapter, as he speaks to the, the church in Ephesus, he is speaking about two groups of people. They are identified by those that are of the circumcision and those that are of the uncircumcision. In other words, he's speaking about the Jews and the non-Jews. And there was a great divide at that time between those two groups. The division came as a result of mostly Jewish people having a superior view of themselves. And you can't really blame them for that. They were God's chosen people. They were the ones God revealed Himself to all the way back in the life of Abraham. God said to him, your people, I will bless them. That, that people who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed, Abraham. And so in the life of Abraham and all of his descendants, the sons of Israel and their descendants after him, that there was a blessing of God that rested on the Jewish people. Now we know that that was not perfect. It was not always in place because uh, they were not always obedient to the Lord, right? That they would backslide and they would do wickedness and God would have to punish them. But still at the end of all of that, God says there's a special blessing on my people, Israel, that doesn't belong even to other people of the world. And, you know, to a certain extent, that's still true today. But what Paul is speaking about here in Ephesians is... There is now in Christ, now that Christ has come, and He has uh, come into the midst of the mess of the world, He has come to unify these two groups of Jews and non-Jews. Now just hold on a minute, I want you to catch something before we leave here. Because in this context, here's the church in Ephesus. And people, there are Jewish people there. The Bible says that the way that the Apostle Paul would start a church, he would go into a city, and the first place he would go was to the synagogue, right? We know that. Because Paul was a Jew, he spoke first to his people the same way that Jesus did, right? Jesus came first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Paul, following in that same tradition, he would go to the synagogue and he would speak to his Jewish brothers about the Messiah, Jesus. And there would be a group of Jews that would say, wow, the Messiah has come. I believe in him. I want to be converted, right? And then there would be a group of Jews who say, no, Paul, you're full of, you're, you're, you've been smoking something crazy. And they would try to persecute him. But in every place that Paul went, he would begin with a group of Jewish believers. And the Bible says that especially the Apostle Paul had a heart to preach to the Gentiles. In other words, to the outsiders, to the ones who were not familiar with the Torah, those who were not familiar with the Messianic prophecies, to the Greeks, to the Persians, to the Samaritans, right? To the people that, that were hated by the Jews traditionally. Paul had a heart to go out and reach them 
as well. And so as a result of Paul's ministry, the same from the result of Jesus' ministry, was this mixed bag in every church. You have a mixed bag of people who... Uh, who were familiar with the Torah, familiar with the promises, familiar with, with what God had promised them, and then you have a bunch of newcomers. A bunch of people who don't know all the traditions, who don't know all the promises, who don't speak Hebrew, most likely, who don't uh, have all the traditions and the Passover feasts and the celebrations and the holidays. They are completely new to this whole Jewish thing. And Paul is addressing what would be natural in every church where there was a group of two different, very kind, two very different kinds of people. He's saying to them that even though you are different, you are one family. In Christ, the, the peace that God brought on the earth is first revealed in the peace that is brought between human beings. That is a message that I believe we need to hear in 2020. Here in the United States of America, where we have spent the last year pointing at the other side, calling them all kinds of names, right? Demonizing. And saying, this is not necessarily a racial division, but it is a political division, isn't it? There is division between old and young generations. There is a division in our, in our country, even still to this day, among different races. There is division in churches and arguments about things. And this year has revealed so many divisions, right? Can I tell you this morning, it's okay to have a disagreement with people. But just because you disagree does not mean that you should cast them out forever. Well, I'm not talking to them anymore. What Paul is speaking about in our scripture is the spirit of reconciliation. He's speaking both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. He says, first of all, to you Gentiles, you were once strangers. You were once aliens, different. You were outsiders. But now you've been brought in close. You've been brought into the family, so to speak. Why? Because he wants to reconcile them both. Verse 16 says that he, Jesus, might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. And so what Jesus came, the Christmas celebration about peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Think again about the author of this hymn. That as, as, as divided as we are now in 2020, to think about how divided we are, it's almost like we're building two completely different cultures in our nation right now. However, we are still not to the point of division that our nation was in the 1860s. Think about that. There was a real live civil war being fought in the United States. The deadliest war in our nation's history where many times even family members fighting on separate sides of this conflict. Many times that there was such deep division and strife. And, and at that moment in our history, that is the time when here, here this man sends off his son to go fight in this battle. And the son comes back and he's contemplating the division and the strife 
And he says, yet right in the middle of that, the Christmas bells ring out. There is that famous story of the Christmas morning peace in World War I, I believe it was. And there was a battle happening on the front lines in the trenches of World War I. And I believe it took place on the border of France and Germany. And there was this territory that was being fought over. And in those days, the mustard gas was being lobbed back and forth. Men, their lungs being burned out of their chest. It was a, it was a deep and, and, and hateful conflict in Europe. And yet, there was a Christmas morning that came and it was unusually warm and sunny on the plains of France. And as the sun came up on that Christmas morning... Something happened on those soldiers. They came out of their trenches. And the story goes that the German soldiers came and greeted the French soldiers. And shook their hands and wished them Merry Christmas. And even somebody had a ball. And the story goes that they had a friendly game of, of European football on Christmas morning. There is something about the Christmas season that brings enemies together. And I believe we need this message more than we ever have before. How does Christmas bring us together? How do the Christmas bells bring reconciliation? First of all, Jesus brings peace on earth between people by taking away privilege and exclusivity. What does that mean this morning? Well, one of the ways that this message of Christmas, of peace on earth, remember now Paul is not just speaking to Gentiles, but also to Jews. And he is saying to them, listen guys, you've got to make room for these Gentile believers. There was a council that took place in the book of Acts as they're having a, a conflict within the church. They're wondering, if a Gentile gets saved, does it mean that they also have to begin following Jewish customs and traditions if they're going to be Christians? It's a good question. Because there was a group of people. Uh, they are called in the Bible the Judaizers, right? And they are the ones who were saying that if you become a Christian, you come into the church, it means that if you're a man, you should be circumcised. That uh, you should begin following the Jewish customs and laws. And the question was, can you be a Christian and, uh, without being a Jew? That was a good question. They came together. They talked about it. There were people that were passionately disagreeing on both sides of that conflict. But as they came together to work it out and pray, the, the resolution that they came, you can read about it, I believe it's Acts chapter 16, where they come together, they have the Jerusalem Council, they called it, and here's the conclusion they came to. They said, we cannot deny that the same Holy Spirit which came down and filled us Jews on the day of Pentecost, we spoke with other tongues and God showed His power through us. And we see that the same Holy Spirit comes down on those Gentiles too. The same Holy Spirit comes down and gives them the, the power to speak in tongues, to cast out demons, to do miracles in the name of Jesus. And so if God sees fit to give them the same Spirit, then who are we to withhold the, the, the communion together? And so they decided that there are only these few things that, that they should follow, but they don't have to become Jews in order to be Christians. Some of y'all said amen. 
In other words, Paul is saying to the Jewish believers, your privilege, your tradition, your exclusivity that you've had for these thousands of years, it's not that important anymore. That can be hard to hear. See, if you look in the Jewish history, very quickly, there was a temple in Jerusalem. You remember this. This is relevant because Paul speaks about it in this scripture. The temple in Jerusalem had courtyards, and there were only certain people that were able to enter into those courtyards. Uh, the, 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 the women were only allowed to go to the outer courtyard. The Jewish men were the only ones able to go to the inner courtyard, and there was a wall of separation to keep out anyone who was not Jewish. How would that feel? That's, that's uh, you know, if you think uh, racism is a problem only in America, you're very, very wrong. Racism is a problem of humanity going back thousands and thousands of years. And here is a surrounding wall that kept the non-Jews, and there, are, there were stones outside of the Jewish temple. Those stones had a message inscribed, accented in red paint. And the message that was on the outside of, the, of the, that gate, it said, no man of any alien race is to enter within the barricade surrounding the temple. Anyone caught doing so will have himself to blame for the penalty of death, which follows. Penalty of death. They said, it's your fault because you didn't listen to the warning. And if you'd been in that temple, if you would have seen it, well, most of you wouldn't have been able to see it. But there was a dividing wall and a threat of what would happen if you pass over that wall. Did you catch what our scripture said? Our scripture says in verse 14 that Jesus himself is our peace. He has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. For the Jews, think about it from their perspective. For those who hold the tradition, they would say, who do you think you are tearing down our traditions, our ways, the things that we're so comfortable with? That would be hard for them, isn't it? You, you're going to tear down the wall of separation and you're just going to let anybody come on up in here? Oh, I'm so glad there's no Christians who feel like that about their church. You know, in the church today, we are divided about what kind of style of music we play. There are people who quit church because they don't like the way the drummer played. Or they quit church or they backslide because they don't like the arrangement of the chairs or because, you know, because they disagree. See, we have our own traditions, don't we, in the church. Many times we can get the attitude like those Jews might have had about, well, this is the way we do things around here. What Paul's message is this morning is that your privilege, your privilege is not, import, not as important as making a place for strangers. Making a place for the newbie. Making a place, and because of this, we say many times, the most important person in our church is the newest person here. Do you know why that is? Because we need the newest person here. So to the, to the believer that's been here for 30 years, thank God for you, for your faithfulness. 
But just because you've been here a long time doesn't mean you're the most important person. It doesn't mean that we abandon all of our traditions. But we must make room for the new believer. Secondly, the way that God brings reconciliation between us is by meeting our universal need. Think about this quickly. We've been, uh, we've been enduring a virus, right? For the last, uh, I, I don't even know, this year has felt like 10 years to me for some reason. But what's interesting about a virus is that it does not discriminate, right? Every race, every color, every status from the president on down to the poorest person. Listen, the virus is only looking for a warm body, right? It does not discriminate in that way. And in the same way, we can think of that, that potential uh, uh, infection of a virus. In the same way, we as a human race, we have a common problem, don't we? You know what that problem is? Sin. You're a sinner. Some of us saved by grace. Thank God that we, our sins have been paid for. But it does not remove the fact that we all need a Savior. Listen to Colossians 2.13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations. That was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. What I'm here to tell you this morning, there's only one path to salvation. And everyone must take that same path. It's the cross. In other words, this morning, we can find reconciliation because there's only one cross to go to. Doesn't matter where you come from, how much sin is in your life, no matter what color your skin is, or how much money is in your bank account, I'm telling you, there's only one cross. And we find unity, we find reconciliation, because the same Savior that I had to go crawling on my hands and knees, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner, that is the same cross that you had to crawl to. And so we, ha we have commonality this morning. Those who would never share a glass or open their home to certain other kind of people, well, guess what? The only way your sins will ever be forgiven is at the cross of Jesus Christ. And that is one way that Jesus brings this peace on earth that no matter how much we may disagree about Certain things in life, there's plenty of things to disagree about. But there is one very important thing that we must agree on, and that is salvation by faith alone, by God's grace in Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary. And we can find unity there. Finally, as we close, the way that God brings peace on earth and goodwill to men is by making the same offer of salvation to every person. In other words, that the, the offer of salvation, the invitation that goes out, is the same to every, to every unbeliever. Ephesians 2, verse 17, again it says, He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace 
to those who were near. In other words, to you Jews, you were close to knowing about Jesus because you had all of your traditions, all of your scriptures, all of the prophecies to come true. You had some inside information that others didn't have. However, the same peace that you had, that you were near to, is the same peace that can be brought to the Gentiles as well. He says, for through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. We both have access. We all have access. Can I tell you that Jesus brings peace on earth in this way. When you cry out to God, no matter who you are, when you fold your hands and you say, dear God, please listen to my prayers. Can I tell you, he hears the prayers. He hears the prayers, black, white, blue, yellow, and everything in between. He hears the prayer of the sincere heart. And that can bring us together, brothers and sisters, because we have one Father. We are not a divided family. There's no stepbrothers in the kingdom. You're not my stepbrother or my stepsister. You are my brother or my sister in faith because we have one Father. Listen, what our Scripture says is the invitation that applies to everyone, to the long-standing Christian family who has had Christianity in your lineage going back generations, or to the family full of atheists who hated God, and you come out from that family having no idea about the Bible, you don't know if Ezekiel is a name of the book of the Bible or if it's an aftershave. To both of you, having long-standing traditions or having zero tradition at all, this is what the promise of peace offers to you. Verse 19, you can become citizens. Citizens. It means we're no longer foreigners or aliens. You don't need a green card. You have access to the kingdom of God. It says we become members of God's household. What does that mean? We're part of a family, not just a guest, not just someone staying for a few days. You become adopted into the family of God. You have rights to the fridge. Thank God we had, our, uh, we had the sos over to our house the other night, and uh, <laughs> little, uh, little Sebastian, man, uh, he, he, he went, as soon as we were around the table having some dinner, and he got wandering around the house, and he goes right to the refrigerator, looks Opens it up, starts looking around. I said, that's what I do, too. <laughs> started looking in our fridge. And <laughs> it was funny. They were trying to be polite. Get out of the fridge. But it was funny to me because what it told me is that he felt comfortable in our house. I like that. You know what? If you find something in there, you can have it, Sebby. Can I tell you, as members of the kingdom of God, you have refrigerator rights. You have access to all the goodies that everyone else has in the kingdom of God. Verse 20 says we become part of God's building. The word here is the, 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 the part of the building, the innermost part of the temple. The most holy place. The place where very few people had access to. Paul is saying you now are part of that building project that God is making. This is what God is offering. 
not to a special few, not to a premier privileged group, but to everyone. That can be hard for some people because that means you're going to have to welcome in some people with some views of differing opinions than what you have. But we in the church, I'm telling you, Jesus, he said, the world will know you. How? Your love for one another. We should never allow political discourse to cause a rift in our family. It's okay to have disagreements. It's okay to see things in another way. It's okay even to vote for different candidates. But I'm telling you this morning, we must still be one family. We must still be able to come together in heart and in purpose for the kingdom of God. Because this is the mark of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Have you ever gotten a wedding invitation? This year I got a wedding invitation in the mail. And, uh, you know, on almost every invitation you see at the bottom, please RSVP, right? Well, how many know, just because you get the invitation doesn't mean you're actually going. What I'm saying here as we close today is that God has sent out His invitation to every one of you. That invitation is one of grace and mercy. He offers for peace in your life. Peace with one another. Peace with God. The question is, will you send the RSVP this morning? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we bring the service to an end. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vvph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.